So Merry Christmas, everyone. So glad that you are here with us today. And as Carla was saying in the announcements, uh, you know, the procrastinators, and I, I just like to just say, um, guys, it's not just seven days till Christmas for your shopping. If you uh, wake up Christmas morning, you have an eighth day. Just saying, you know, you got lots of time. So relax, take your time on the shopping, guys. You know, it's, uh, it's a long ways away. So it's not a long ways away, it's just right around the corner, but so glad that you're here with us uh, as we are in our Christmas series. And before we jump into today's message, let me just make a real quick personal announcement. This doesn't happen very often. Um, actually, it does happen every year, but it do- th- this day doesn't fall on Sunday every year. 23 years ago today, my wife and I were married on December 18th. So kind of a kind of a special day for us. And if you know me at all, you know I can be a little challenging to live with. So if you know my wife, please go tell her, way to go, like 23 years. Are you okay? Like just check in on her, just see that she's all right. Um, but seriously, I am so grateful for my wife. God has used her to shape and mold me into the man that I am and the man that I continue to become. And I'm just uh, honored to be uh, her husband. And I look forward to many more years with her. So if you're new with us today, we are in part three of our Christmas series called Foretold. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the story of Jesus' birth, his life and his work through the lens of the Old Testament. Now, often when people look at the Bible, we kind of see it as some random collection of ancient writings, and we don't see that, that they're deeply connected with each other. And yet, the more we read Scripture, the more we understand what the Bible is all about, we understand that, that it's one story. In the Old Testament, all the stories in the Old Testament, they point to the life and work of Jesus Christ. And we saw that in the first part of this series when Evan did a great job of helping us to explore the very first prophecy in the Old Testament about the life of Jesus. And that's actually found in Genesis chapter three. So in the very first book of the Bible, God reveals his redemptive plan to use Jesus to draw us back to himself. And it was wrapped in this really amazing story. And it's the, the, the story of Adam and Eve's first sin. And anybody like upset with Adam and Eve for, for, you know, eating the fruit, you know, don't you think life would be so much better if they had made a better choice? Um, Well, I think we all need to cut them some slack because the reality is we would have made the same choice because we make that same choice on a regular basis. On a regular basis, we wake up and we have this opportunity to choose to follow God and his plan for our lives or to choose to follow us and our plan. And I don't know about you, but there are too many days that I wake up and go, I'd like to go my way, not God's way. And so we would have done the same thing. And in the midst of the first tragedy where sin was introduced into the world, God shows up with his redemptive plan. And there's this prophecy about a child and that there would be this battle and there would be this incredible sacrifice. And it's just amazing that in the midst of sin that we see God's redemptive plan already unfolding in the very first book of the Bible. And then last week, Tim did a great job of helping us to explore the Old Testament 
prophecy that came from Isaiah. So the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter seven, he spoke to King Ahaz during a time of great uncertainty for that king. And he reminded the king, he said, listen, there's going to be this woman, a virgin who gives birth to a son and she's going to name him Emmanuel. And Tim used that to remind us that no matter what uncertainty we face, God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God is with us. And, and I know many of you are facing large amounts of uncertainty this Christmas season. There's relationship uncertainty. There's financial uncertainty. There's job uncertainty. There's future uncertainty. And I think God wants to remind all of us in the midst of our uncertainty that he is with us always. So hopefully that will be an encouragement to you this Christmas season and whatever uncertainty that you might be facing. Now, today we are going to explore another prophecy from the Old Testament, and this is a prophecy from Isaiah again. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 40. And this prophecy is not directly about Jesus. It's indirectly about Jesus, but it's more specifically about a guy that God has chosen to do a specific thing in our world. And we'll learn about that together. So Isaiah chapter 40 Starting in verse three, Isaiah said, he said, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting. And this is what that person is shouting. They're saying, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Now, this prophecy is about a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And Isaiah spoke 700 plus years before John was born. And he didn't know that he was talking about John the Baptist. He knew he was talking about somebody. He didn't specifically know it was going to be John the Baptist. Well, 700 plus years later, John was born. And listen to what John's dad said about him in Luke chapter one. There's this amazing story in Luke chapter one about John's dad and his mom finding out that they're going to have a son. They were older in age. They didn't have children. And, uh, and uh, his dad, Zechariah, had some disbelief when an angel showed up and said he was going to have a son. And in that disbelief, he's like, how is this possible? Like, I, I'm too old for this. And um, he's, you know, he basically said, like, I don't even know how to put together bikes anymore and, you know, all that stuff. Like, I, I can't read the instructions. Like, it's, this can't happen. And uh, the angel said, because of your disbelief, you're not going to be able to speak until he's born. But listen to what he said when John was born, starting in verse 76. He said, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Now there he's talking about Jesus. In verse eight, he says, John grew up and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Now, the interesting thing about John the Baptist is that he is the only prophet to bridge the Old Testament and the New Testament. So he bridged the promise of the Old Testament about Jesus and the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming to planet earth. And we, and we see that through his, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, 
in his resurrection. So John had this, this really unique role of bridging those two worlds, Old Testament and New Testament. Now listen to what John, uh, no, actually Mark, what Mark chapter one says about John. This is where we're gonna spend most of our time today. Mark chapter one says this. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And John announced Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the sandals, uh, the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So God chose John to introduce the world to Jesus. Can you imagine being chosen for that specific purpose? To introduce the world to God himself. What a special privilege. But listen to what the Bible says about us. And this is where our story intersects with John's story. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, after Jesus' resurrection, he gathers his disciples together and he says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what that means is you and I have been chosen by God. If you're a Christ follower, you've been chosen to announce to the world that Jesus is here. You've been chosen to introduce the world to God himself. What a special privilege we have been given. Now, for us to learn how to do that, We've got to learn from the first guy who was chosen for that, and that is John the Baptist. And usually we're talking about how to live like Jesus, but today we're gonna talk about how to live like John. And I gotta tell you, if you're not a Christ follower, um, I am gonna speak directly to those of us today who are Christ followers. So this message is primarily geared towards them. And if anybody is a note taker, today would be a great day to take notes. We're gonna talk about four things that we can learn from John the Baptist. So this first thing is gonna be fun for everybody. And it might be the reason, if you're not a Christ follower, it might be the reason why you haven't become one yet. Or if you are a Christ follower, it might be a reason why it, you kept from becoming one for a very long time. All right, so you ready? One person's ready. Anybody else ready? All right, you ready to, to learn from John? All right, here we go. Let's learn from John. Okay, so the first thing for us to fulfill our mission that we have of introducing the world to Jesus, first thing we have to do to learn from John, learn how to live like John, is we've got to be okay with being a little weird for Christ. All right, so, so here we go. So Mark chapter one said that John lived in the wilderness. He baptized people in the Jordan River. He wore camel hair skin clothes. He ate locusts and wild honey. 
So you could say that John lived in a van down by the river. It's possible that you could say that. John was a little bit weird. He wasn't your average guy. He was kind of, you know, camel hair eating, uh, wearing a locust eating wild man. And, you know, that may be the reason why people came to see him. They, they might have said to each other, like, hey, there's this like, crazy guy down by the river. I think the circus is in town with this werewolf-looking dude, and he's eating bugs. Let's go down and see him. So I don't know if that's the reason that people came down to see John, but he was a little bit weird. And if you think about Christ followers, aren't we all just a little bit weird? And some are weirder than others, right? And again, if you're not a Christ follower, maybe this is the thing that's kind of holding you back and you're like, yeah, I don't want to be one of those crazy Christians or one of those Jesus freaks. And maybe that tells you back. But think about what makes us weird as Christians. It starts with the core beliefs of Christianity. Uh, This first thing we're going to look at is something that Jesus taught. And he said, there's only one way to eternal life. That's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is one way. There aren't lots of ways. There's one way. Now, we live in a world of options. We like options. You know, if we don't like our our mobile phone carrier, we're going to get another one. You know, we go to a restaurant, we got tons of options. When it comes to Christmas time for shopping, one store doesn't have what we want, we'll go to another store. We like all kinds of options. And so when our world hears Jesus saying there's one way, often our world says, well, that's a little too narrow-minded. Like, I, I don't want to serve a God who's that narrow-minded and said there's, there's one way. Like, I want options. I'm used to options. And so we think, our world often thinks, you know, our eternal life options should be based upon our, our good behavior, our good intentions, our sincerity. There are people that believe, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about your worship. And somehow, if you're sincere, you'll find God at the end of that, and God will, will understand the sincerity of your heart. Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless a person is born again, he can never see the kingdom of God. And then in John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said there's one way. There aren't lots of ways. And until we understand the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us, until we understand that he died so we can live He died so we can have one way. And until we understand how much that one way costs, then we look at that one way system from God and we go, you know, that's a little crazy. Like, I don't know if I fully buy into that. Here's another core belief of Christianity that's probably even a little bit harder for many people to swallow. So Christianity teaches that the best way to to do life is to keep sexual intimacy in the context of a committed marital relationship. And our world says, do what? Like, come again? Like, really? You expect, in a world of options... You expect that I'm going to keep sexual intimacy in the context of marriage? Like, if I'm not married, I'm going to wait until I'm married? Like, are you kidding me? And if I am married, like, I have to keep intimacy only with my spouse? Like, really? Even some Christ followers go, like, like come again? Really? What's the expectation? And if you doubt that, if you doubt that our world struggles with that, I challenge you, next time you're at work, Tell people at work that if you're not married, you're waiting to have sex until you find the person that God wants you to marry. 
If you are married, tell them you're going to keep sex within the context of your marriage. See what kind of response you get. If you're in high school, if you're in middle school, and dare I say today elementary school, when that subject comes up, just tell your peers, you know, like, I really feel like God wants me to wait to experience intimacy in the context of marriage and see what kind of response you get. And people will probably say, you're crazy. Like, you're going to wait. Really? You're really going to wait? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wait. You're really going to keep intimacy within the context of your, your spouse. Like, you're not going to have sex outside of that relationship. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. Until we understand that God designed sexual intimacy. And can I hear an amen? Like, like, I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. Like, wow, that's amazing. Like, God came up with that. Like, it wasn't Satan. God did, okay? So, like, let's not rob from, from God's idea. So God had this beautiful idea. He said, you know how this gift works? It works best within the context of a committed marital relationship between one man and one woman who are totally committed to each other for life. Until we understand that, we look at God's view of sexuality and we go, well, that's crazy. That's weird. That's just a a couple of the beliefs that that Christianity teaches. And, And our world looks at that stuff and goes, man, if you believe that, if you practice that, you are weird. So are you okay with being that crazy Christian at work? Are you okay with being that crazy Christian at school? When that subject comes up or whatever subject and and you start talking about your faith and your beliefs and people are like, really? Like you think there's one way. Yeah, I think there's one way. Like you really think that God wants you to forgive that person who hurt you deeply? Yeah, I really think God wants that. Like you're really gonna wait until marriage to have sex. Like, yep. Are you willing to be that crazy Christian? When I say crazy Christian, I'm not talking about like, you know, uh, those people that run around like Chicken Little saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Like we got way too many crazy Christians like that. We don't need any more. But are you willing to be that crazy Christian that says, you know what? I believe what scripture teaches and I'm living it. Are you willing to be that crazy? That's what God's calling us to. That's how we can live like John is to be okay with being a little crazy for Christ. All right, the next thing that we gotta learn from John is how to share our faith clearly and boldly. Now, when John shared his message, there was no question about his message. It was pretty clear and pretty simple. He said, Jesus is coming. People need to repent of their sins, turn to God for forgiveness and be baptized. That was John's clear and compelling message. So if you are a Christ follower, what's your clear and compelling message? Do people around you, do people at work, people at school, do they know, like, you know what? I don't know if I believe all that stuff that person believes, but that person's always talking about God's love. They're always talking about God's grace. They're always talking about God's forgiveness. Can people around you say, I know what that person's always talking about. Here's their message. Here's what they always share. Again, I don't know if I believe all that stuff, but they sure do. Do you have a message for Christ that you share? One of the challenging things about being a Christ follower is learning how to share our faith. And uh, there are many Christ followers that go like, wow, that's so intimidating. Like, I feel like that's just for pastors or priests. I gotta go to like a seminary to, to learn how to do that. But that's not true. 
One of the greatest ways to share our faith is to just tell people what Jesus is doing for us, what Jesus is doing for me. There's an amazing story in John chapter nine where Jesus healed a guy who'd been born blind. And the crazy thing about this story is it made the religious leaders angry. They were jealous of Jesus. And so what they did was they grilled the guy who'd been healed. And they're asking him all these deep theological questions. And the guy's response was basically this. Listen, I don't know how to answer all your deep theological questions. All I know is I was blind and now I can see and Jesus healed me. Like, that's all I know. So what has Jesus done for you that you can share with other people? That's the clear and compelling message that God wants us to share. What has he done? And are you sharing that with other people? Are you letting them know what God has done for you? Listen to Colossians 4. Five and six, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's telling us here's some more things for us to know about sharing our faith. He says, Live wisely among those who are not believers, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So Paul says, Listen, look for opportunities, they're out there, they're all around you. So look for those opportunities. And when those opportunities come up, take advantage of those opportunities. Actually open your mouth and share what God is doing for you. And let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Gracious and attractive so that you can have a right response for people. So that people, as they engage that conversation, they will want to know more about what you're talking about. Now, here's how we can, we can do this. Um, one of the great ways that we can share our faith with other people and make our, our uh, conversation attractive and gracious is to intertwine our story with God's story. So here's a way we can do that through John 3.16. It's one of the most famous Bible verses ever. And it says this, it says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that an amazing verse? It's an amazing verse. For God so loved the world. You know what you can do with that? Those two words, the world, you can take them out and put somebody's name in there. You're talking with somebody and you say, for God so loved you. Whatever their name is, God loved you so much. And here's what he did. Because of that love, he gave up his most valuable possession, his relationship with his son. And he let his son die so that you can have eternal life. You are that valuable. You are that precious to God. Now, here's the thing. Uh, my wife and I have four kids, and I love many of you, but I would not let my kids die for you. Like, sorry, no offense, okay? I love my kids more. But here's what God does. God looks at us and he goes, listen, I've created you. I love you. I want to spend eternity with you. I'm going to allow Jesus to die so you can live and, and you get to live when you believe that, when you believe that Jesus died for you. And guess what Jesus said? I'll go. I'll go for them. They're that valuable. I'll die for them. You are that valuable. The people at work are that valuable. The people that you know at school, they're that valuable. And we can let them know how valuable they are. And we can say, like, listen, that's what Jesus did for me. He died so I can live. He did that for you as well. 
so we can intertwine our story with God's story as we're sharing our faith with other people. It's something that, that John did on a regular basis. The third thing that we can learn from John is that life is always about Jesus. It's never about us. In Mark chapter one, verse seven, John said, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Isn't that amazing perspective? John had this amazing perspective that kept him focused in all of his life, kept him focused with the mission that God had for him. And John could have easily forgotten that. Uh, Verse five, says that all the people of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. Now that represented thousands of people who were coming out to see John on a regular basis. So let's put ourselves in John's spot. So if thousands of people were coming to see you on a regular basis, what would you think? Would you think life's about Jesus or life's about you? You don't have to answer out loud. Like, I think many of us would be tempted to think, you know what, I'm something pretty special because people are coming to see me on a regular basis. We'd be tempted to think that life is about us and not about Jesus. But John had this incredible perspective, this incredible humility that kept him focused always. He never thought it was about himself. In fact, one time when Jesus and his disciples came close to where John was baptizing in the Jordan River. John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi or teacher, Jesus is baptizing people like just up the river and and more people are going to see him than us. Like, what do we do? And John could have easily said, Jesus, come on. Like, can you go find another river? Like, come on. Like, Like, you're taken away from like my accomplishments. He could have said that, but he didn't. This is what he said. He said, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Do you have that perspective? We need to have that perspective. It's not about us. It's not about our accomplishments. And and I don't know about you, but I think about myself way too much. I think about myself all day. I think about myself all night. I dream about myself. And then I wake up thinking, I'm, I'm something. Man, life is all about me. And I so often forget it's about Jesus. It's about his accomplishments. It's about his plan. It's about his will, not mine. And so often I'm telling God like, like hey, I need you to do this. Can you like make it happen like on my time frame? Like I, today would be great. And uh, then God comes along and reminds me, hey, I've got a plan. I've got something I'm doing hey, it's not about you. It's always about Jesus. We need to always remember that life is always about Jesus. So in order to live like John, we need to learn to be a little bit weird for Christ, share our faith boldly and clearly. Remember that life is always about Jesus, never about us. And lastly, we need to call people to action. So when people came to John to be baptized, he told them, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turn to God. And when they asked, like, what should we do? John said, hey, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, then share it with those that are hungry. 
And then in verse 12 of Luke chapter 3, said, it said, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Then some soldiers came along and asked, what should we do? And John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. John always called people around him to action, to make their faith public, to do something in demonstration of what God is doing in their lives. Now, here's how we can do that. I think we need to be able to help people take a next step towards or with Christ. And what that means is we have to know where people are on their spiritual journey and then help them take a next step towards or with Christ. And people are at all kinds of different places on their spiritual journey around us. And and there are people that you know in your life who are far from God. And maybe they claim to be atheists and they say like, I don't believe all that garbage. And then maybe you know other people who are close to putting their faith in Jesus and they just need somebody to help them figure out how to do that. So there are people all over uh, in their spiritual journey. And for us to help them take a next step is we've got to know where they are and we've got to learn how to help them take that next step. So for example, if you've got someone in your life who claims to be an atheist, um, don't beat them over their head with your Bible. That is not gonna help. Don't get into an intellectual debate. Don't get into a scriptural debate on why you think you're right and why they're wrong. You might win the argument and lose the relationship. Remember, Paul said, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. So if you've got somebody in your world who's an atheist, get into a conversation with them. Say, like, how did you come to, to be, be an atheist? Like, how did you get to that spot? I'd love to learn. And then zip your lip and listen. Listen. Learn. Ask questions. Find out. Again, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response. And out of that, you might discover that they wanna have another conversation, maybe. And maybe you can help them take a next step, even if it's a small next step, towards Christ. Maybe you're, you know somebody who's really close to faith in Christ, and, and like, like they're right there, and there's like nothing really holding them back except somebody kind of helping them across that bridge and showing them how to do that. One of the questions that I have asked on many occasions is, what is holding you back? So I've talked to a lot of people about faith, about putting their faith in Christ, and and that's one of my questions. We get to that spot, I've kind of explained everything there is about putting their faith in Jesus, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, and I say, like, what's holding you back? And another question that I ask is, what's the worst thing that could happen? So let's just say you did. Let's say you put your faith in Jesus. What's the worst possible thing? People might think I'm a crazy Christian. Yeah, that's true. Well, what else? I've asked that question many times, and many times the answer I get is nothing. I asked that question a few years ago to a guy I was talking with, and I said, what's the worst thing that happened? He said, nothing. I said, so would you like to put your faith in Jesus? He said, yes. And he crossed that bridge of faith. It's been growing ever since. It's been fantastic to watch that journey and to help people take a next step towards Christ. So what we have to do is we've got to learn where people are in their spiritual journey and help them take a next step. And remember, our conversation always needs to be gracious and attractive so we can help people take those next steps towards Christ. Now, one of the easiest ways to call people to action is to invite them to church. 
It's one of the easiest ways. You invite somebody to church, that opens up all kinds of, of spiritual conversations with people. And you might uh, hear somebody say, no, thanks, I don't do church. And if they do, just use our tagline, okay? If you know our tagline, we're a church for people who don't do church. And just say, oh, that's great, you don't do church? Well, we don't either. So come and find out. And they're like, what does that mean? You don't do church? Well, come and find out what that means. I invite you to come to a, a, a Christmas service or a, a church service. Just invite them to come. That's a great way to call people to action, to, to help them take a next step towards Christ. Now, I've been doing that in my neighborhood um, for many years. And, um, you know, seven, uh, Epic's have been in existence for seven years. And so, like, every year I go invite my neighbors to our Christmas service, our Easter services. And, and you know, you can kind of tell uh, when I'm coming around and my neighbors are like, oh, no, here he comes. Look down, look down. He's got those cards in his back of his pocket, in his hands. Like, he's got to hand us one of those cards. Like, don't make eye contact. Quick, go in the garage. So I, I try not to be obnoxious with that. I, I, I really do. But, man, I, I love my neighbors. How horrible it would be for me to hear God welcome me into heaven and to watch one of my neighbors sent to hell because I didn't invite him. That's not okay for me. So I try to invite my neighbors. And I got one neighbor I've been inviting. And uh, every time I talk to him about this, he goes like, Trent, you know I don't do church. And I say, yeah, and we don't either, so come. And so we have this fun little banter. And, uh, and yet he keeps bringing up spiritual conversations with me. So we keep talking about God. It's awesome. And I pray one day he'll come. Maybe he'll come this Christmas Eve. I don't know, but I'm going to invite him. Got another neighbor that came up recently and said, hey, I heard you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, actually I am. She said, where uh, do you pastor? I said, Epic Church. She said, oh, you're that church that doesn't do church. I'm like, oh, you've heard about us. That's great. That's great. And she went on to explain that her and her family had had some really bad church experiences, and, and she'd been tracking our church for seven years from a distance. And uh, I gave her a card, invitation card, this card. I said, we'd love if your family would come this Christmas Eve. You're welcome. Um, sorry about your bad church experiences, but man, we'd love if you'd come. And she said, I'm going to go talk to my husband about it. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. So they might come. They might not. I don't know. My job is to help them take a next step, provide an opportunity, invite them, so you just never know who might come because we provide an opportunity. And what I encourage you to do is take these cards. We've got invitation cards on all of our seats. Um, we've got more at our Connection Center, and here's the deal. Um, after, like, next week, these go in the trash. I would rather they go in somebody's hand than the trash. So take a handful of them, take them to, to school, take them to work and hand them out, put them on the, the uh, what do you call those things where people post stuff that work? There you go, thank you. Put it on the bulletin board, sorry, brain, brain freeze. Put it on the bulletin board, like put it everywhere. Like when you go out to, to lunch or, or, or dinner, take it to a restaurant with you and leave it there. But here's the thing, if you're gonna leave one of these at a restaurant, leave a good tip, okay? <laughs> If you're not going to leave a good tip, if you're stingy, tell them you're from Parkview or Life Coast or Palm Coast Community <laughs> Church. Just kidding. We love those churches. Don't promote church if you're going to be stingy at lunchtime. So be generous. Be a generous tipper and then invite somebody to a Christmas service. You just never know. Someone might come.
So in order for us to fulfill the mission that God has for us, we've got to introduce everyone to Jesus, learn to be okay with being a little bit weird for Christ, share our faith clearly and boldly. Remember that life is always about Jesus. And then we've got to call people to action, call them to a next step. Now, um, our worship team is going to come out in just a minute, and they're going to wrap us up in a new song that I've been listening to all week. And it's this great song, and it's called More. And it's based on what John said when he said, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So what I encourage you to do is you're listening to this song and singing this song. I encourage you to have a conversation with God and say, God, how can I introduce people around me to Jesus this week? Pray for opportunities to invite people to a Christmas Eve service where they just might meet God in the flesh. So if you would, stand with me, and then we'll pray. So God, I'm so grateful for people in Scripture like John, who was really okay with being a little bit weird for Christ. And God, we've got to learn to be okay with that as well in our own lives. We've got to actually believe the teachings of Scripture. We've got to apply those teachings to our lives, and that makes us a little bit weird. God, we've got to learn how to share our faith clearly and boldly with other people. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to do that. God, we've always got to remember, life's about you. It's not about us. And I just admit, so often I get that backwards. God, you've asked us, as Christ followers, to call people to action. And so often, we don't do that well. We don't make the invitation. We don't ask those questions. We don't invite people to a next step with you. So Lord, I pray that we would do that. And I pray that our conversation would always be gracious and attractive so that people who don't know you would say, like, I want to know more. Like, I want to... I want to know more about this Jesus you keep talking about. So God, in order for that to happen, we've got to learn from John. John had this amazing perspective that kept him humble, where he said, Jesus, it's always got to be about you. You must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. So Lord, I pray that we would have that perspective always. We want more of you, God. So God, out of that relationship where we have an overflow in our relationship with you, we're able to reach out to people who are far from you. So I pray for opportunities this week for us to invite people to our Christmas Eve service where they just might meet Jesus. Give us the boldness to do that, I pray. Give us the eyes to see those opportunities and we'll take them as they come. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.